Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover here with my good friend and co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing well. Happy Valentine's Day to you and your lovely wife. And happy Valentine's Day to you and your lovely wife. And hope well, thank you. hope everybody has a great Valentine's Day, however you listen to the show. Today is Valentine's Day, so if you're listening live, we want to thank you and wondering why you're listening to us live. Um <laughs> Because so, <laughs> if you're on the East Coast, that. you should be doing shit right now that you're not listening to us live. And if you're on the West Coast, you should be out having dinner, having a little wine, getting ready to do the shit that you should be doing that the East Coast people are doing right now. So listen to us on demand today is what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I do. Even now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. He waits till I need to start the delay. Well, we're waiting for our guest, KJ Howe. For those of you who follow the show, you might realize, hey, wait a second, didn't you just have her on Saturday's show? And that is true. I did have her on Saturday's show, which was a great show, by the way. They had Lisa Gardner on there, Alexandria Weiss. Um, we also had Elizabeth Heider on. So it was a good show. We had a really good show. I had four fantastic – this is the one thing, Jeff, you know. Um, we, didn't re- we didn't really talk about a topic of what we are going to do, but the thing that I found fascinating, which I just realized – I had four outstanding women authors on in a field where a lot of people say women aren't as popular. And I'm like, that's bullshit, because I just had four of them right here for you. Four right here. That's so. pretty cool. Oh, and it looks like Kim – or I'm sorry. Oh. Shit, I just outed her. It looks like KJ <laughs> has called in. So let's get, her, <laughs> let's get her on the line. We're all friends here, aren't we? Hey, KJ, how you doing? Fantastic. Just um, uh, I, I'm, I've been at an event in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm very excited to join oh. you guys tonight. Oh. You're in Asheville, North Carolina? Nice. I sure am, with uh, the lovely Sarah Gruen in Water oh, for good. Elephants. And how was oh, that event? Wonderful. Was it good? Absolutely fantastic. She's lovely and oh. had a really good time. Fascinating. Well, how, so how it's how you know, by you. Um, who else have you had wonderful events with so far? Well, I started oh, I got one. Tour. Steve Barry in Jacksonville on Saturday. That's right. You nailed it. And <laughs> yes. I, yeah. He's such a fantastic guy. And and I started off the tour with Lee Child in City, and we had a phenomenal event at the Mysterious Bookshop. And then, um, sadly, it was really frustrating, but uh, that massive snowstorm oh, right. came in Weather. and wiped out the Boston event. But we're going to reschedule with Joseph Binder, so I'm really excited about that. And tomorrow at the crack of dawn, I'm headed to Austin, Texas, to meet with Jeff Abbott. Oh, my buddy. Oh, nice. He's awesome. You're going to have a great mm-hmm. time. I'm really excited. He's such a nice person. Mm-hmm. So how are my two favorite radio hosts? Shit, we're having fun. As always, of course. <laughs> and and the one thing that we told, now we did tell the audience real quick that we hope that nobody was listening to us live because, you know, you have mm-hmm. people on the East Coast that need to be doing stuff at 1030 that you do on Valentine's Day. People on the West Coast <laughs> need to be 
gearing up to do stuff that the people on the East Coast should be doing. But I was just thinking, but what are people in the Midwest doing? Who cares about the people in the Midwest, actually? Because, you know, I live well, in the Midwest. And, that's the, that is the question and, tonight, right, with Valentine's Day. That's true. They don't have to listen live. They can listen on demand. That's the best part to listen anyway is to listen on demand. You can listen to the show however they want to listen. But the people in the Midwest, it's not that I'm, I'm dissing the people. That's not what I'm doing. I'm dissing the boringness of the plain states and those states. I mean, those things are just boring to, like, look at. They are. Come East on, they grow corn wonderful. there. That's a, a critical element in all of our food. It's true, but robots can grow <laughs> corn. So the people can leave. You got the robots doing that. <laughs> what show did I stumble on? I want to know. <laughs> That's I know. true. You stumbled on the farm station here on rural radio. <laughs> We're going live. <laughs> See, I told you this is a much different show than the Saturday one. I'm a little bit more subdued on Saturday. But when it comes to Tuesday night with Jeff, man, we just let it all hang out. Literally, I'm sitting here naked doing the show. Yep. Valentine's Day, all I'm wearing is a bow. That's all I got on right now. Oh, my goodness. Am I? (laughs) Yeah, that's okay because Shannon's not in the house anyway because she's like, I'm going to sit there if you're just going to wear a bow. So it's all good. (laughs) So can I ask a question? (laughs) Do it up. (laughs) I love this. So your book, The Freedom Broker, obviously you know I loved it. Um, I'm curious what the publishing journey was for this book. Yeah. Sure, Jeff, I'd be delighted to talk about that. Um, It all started with a bow. (laughs) Kidding. Um, (laughs) And a guy who'll never um, get kidnapped wearing a bow. (laughs) Yeah, they're looking for soft targets. Um, so exactly. nice, you know, nice dig on that when I love it. <laughs> so um, it's been a wonderful journey, actually. For many years, of course, you know, I was the executive director of Thrillerfest, still am, of course, and really enjoyed, you know, learning from all the masters in the genre. And I just really wanted to pursue something I was passionate about, and that was two parts: one, an international story, because I've lived abroad most of my life. And I really wanted a character that could travel a lot. And then secondly, I found kidnapping as a, an overall topic really interesting because it's kind of purgatory. You know, you're, not, you're living, you're still alive, but you're really not actually having a life. And so I wanted to explore that, and I've researched it for the last three years intensively. And I really hope the authenticity comes through in the novel. And uh, so I just, you know, created a character named Thea Paris. And, um, you know, she's strong yet vulnerable, both emotionally because her brother was kidnapped when she was young, and that's the reason she was motivated to become a kidnap negotiator. And secondly, physically vulnerable because she has type 1 diabetes and needs insulin to survive. And, you know, and that's one thing that we didn't get into when we talked on Saturday was actually getting into Thea as a person and a character. And like you said, she has some flaws. She's very emotional. She has, you know, the diabetes that she has to deal with. So if she was kind of here talking to us right now and she was going to be maybe like explaining not only how she – I mean, first of all, I don't even know how you would even get involved in this kind of business that this is what you're going to do for a career, not to mention like, you know, you mentioned on Saturday that there's only 25 elite kidnap and ransom specialists in the world how would she kind of answer that question? Like, how would someone really understand what she does and how she even got involved with that? 
Sure. Well, there's a couple ways to approach that question. And first, I guess, is most people who get involved as what we call in the industry as a response consultant, and that's basically a kidnap negotiator. Most of the people come from an alphabet soup background. And Thea used to work at the DIA. And, you know, she had in her mind from very young, of course, because of her brother's kidnapping, that she wanted to do this. But she knew she needed some experience you know, some tactical skills that, she, you know, she learned, and as well, you know, some negotiation skills. She also speaks seven languages, a critical thing because, you know, kidnappings, you know, quite often uh, happen abroad when you need to learn the language so no one can pull the wool over your eyes, you know, with respect to speaking in a language you don't understand. So she basically spent her entire life preparing for this job you know, getting all the requisite skills, whether they be physical, tactical skills, language skills, or psychological negotiation skills. So that's how she kind of, you know, got that together. And then as well, um, you know, most of the people that are recruited, you know, in this field um, have to have certain personality traits. And that would be a lot of patience because you need to wait. Uh, Kidnappings are not quick turnarounds generally. They can last days, weeks, years. And you have to really have that stick to itness, you know, to be able to handle the, you know, kidnappers and stay calm under duress, extreme duress, really, because it's life or death issue. And um, it's been an interesting process to meet the different, you know, kidnap negotiators that I've had the pleasure of meeting and um, seeing the commonalities in some of their personality traits. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting because they're very, very bright, capable people. But I also see it's really quite interesting to me that if you didn't know what they did for a living, you would just think that they're kind of the average soccer dad or, um, you know, you know, intelligent, capable individual that might be a, a professor or scholar. It's it's really interesting. So I hope that helps give you a little bit more background as what what to, to see had to do to prepare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's just one of those. It's again, it's one of those jobs that you really probably can't tell the people that you do, but then maybe when they find out, I mean, it's just like, how do you even get involved in that? You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, it, sure. do you just like, do you like go on Career Builder and put your resume in? You know what I mean? It's just like one of those, you know, no. just one of those <laughs> yeah, weird jobs that. that you would just never think about. Well, quite often, you know, people are recruited, right? They're, you know, they have a keep, keep an eye on certain people with requisite skills and say, hey, you know, would you like to do this? And a lot of people have a background in the security industry, so they're well-known. And as they work up, you know, and get the uh, kind of experience they need, um, they're recruited. And it's really interesting to me because I love the fact that uh, it's sad, that, very sad, that kidnapping is a growing international crisis. Um, but they're recruiting female negotiators now because they're finding they have an incredible amount of empathy that they're really good at dealing with the hostages family and the ability to kind of de-escalate the situation with the negoti- with the kidnappers and keep the negotiations going on. And uh, I love that fact that, you know, women are being valued in that role and um, because there really weren't in the past that many female negotiators. When I think of uh, researching a novel, I know David Morrell will actually go out and uh, shoot guns or do defensive training. Mm -hmm. When you were researching this book, did you actually work with real-life negotiators? Oh, I've met – yeah. Like I'll give you a little backdrop of what I've done. Um, I've met 
with the real life negotiators, several of them. And because I think it's really good to get, you know, a broad aspect of the different types of people involved. I've met with several former former hostages because I feel like every hostage experience is really unique and it's good to get a snapshot into what it's like to be a hostage. I've also become good friends with a couple of reintegration experts. These people basically take former hostages and help them regroup, you know, recover and get back into real life. And then uh, as well, the special forces soldiers who either deliver ransoms or execute um, rescues when necessary. I've, I've gotten to know several of those gentlemen as well. And that's been really interesting to see what their experiences are like. And then, there's a whole industry, and this is one of the things I find most fascinating about kidnapping, and that's the K&R insurance um, groups and um, how K&R insurance works and, you know, who needs it and things like that. So I've tried to have as broad a spectrum as possible about kidnapping in general so that I really come, you know, to the story and, um, you know, this is a series, so I wanted to have a really good foundation in kidnapping so I have ideas to move forward with different stories. Now, the one thing, of course, like you said, you know, you're um, on the executive team of Thriller Fest, and for a lot of people, you know, for years, of course, Jeff and I have been banging the drum that every author, when you're in this mystery, suspense, thriller, horror, whatever, you know, in the genre that you're writing, needs to get there at least once, and of course, you're fortunate enough to be there every year, and of course, you're running around, but some of that stuff Mm -hmm. kind of wears off, so... What's one of the biggest, you know, one of the top two or three maybe biggest things that you've gotten out of Thriller Fest as a fan that people that have not been there would be able to experience all the time because since you're working it, that they would be able to know? Yeah, it's a great question, and there's truly endless examples. And the one I would say for sure is Craft Fest. So Craft Fest is basically our craft school for, you know, writers, aspiring authors. And to be able to sit in a room and hear like a John Sanford, a David Morrell, a Lee Child talk about the craft of writing, it's just a brilliant opportunity. Uh, it's, I always look at, you know, writers, uh, it's, it's a journey. You know, we all do the best job we can at writing the books we write the day we write them. And then, you know, we look back and say, oh, we're mind changing this or that. And so I think it's an endless education coming to Thriller Fest. And, you know, even though I'm running around and, and can never really, um, you know, sit in on a class, I listen to every single recording of the entire conference so that I'm really familiar with what's happened and, you know, who said what. And, and it's a great learning experience for me. So I would say that's one of the number one things is just the ability to listen to very, very talented writers talk about their process. And I feel like it's really important to understand that every writer has a different process. For example, you know, Jeffrey Deaver writes 100-page outlines for his novels, and Lee Child writes no outline, basically is organic and writes as he goes, and yet both are incredibly successful. So I think there's no judgment at Thriller Fest in the sense that do what works for you. You know, I hope that helps. I mean, you know, I think, you know, just like you guys... I, I can say it's changed my life, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Well, you know that. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way about it, too. I mean, I think, you know, it's like a really close-knit, supportive group. And um, whenever I've struggled questions about writing, there's an incredible resource there of so many talented writers 
who are more than willing to share their thoughts. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. Um, you mentioned this as a series, and uh, John is a big series snob, so... <laughs> oh, no, is he really? And here How I do you know that? We have this discussion a lot. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. curious, when you were writing this I'm book... I'm not a series fan. Were I'm you sorry. planning it to be a series from the get-go? Yes, and I'll explain why. Because okay. there's endless kidnap scenarios in the world. First of all, there are a huge variety of types of kidnappings. And secondly, there are many, many settings that you know could be used because kidnappings happen all over the globe. And there's many different hotspots. So I just was actually excited to find a character that I felt had the longevity, um, you know, to last for a series and to have exciting opportunities and to delve into it. You know, for example, the first book, The Freedom Broker, which, you know, just came out February 7th, is more Thea Paris's personal story about why she wanted to become a kidnapped negotiator and her father's kidnapped. And, you know, there's the mystery behind that. But the second book, which will be coming out next year, and I'm almost finished, is called Skyjack, and it's about a hijacking. And the third book, which I've already planned, is about a journalist um, being kidnapped. So do you see where I'm going with this? I just feel like, you know, there's so many different aspects and, you know, to explore, whether it's kidnapped for ransom or political kidnaps, prisoner exchange kidnaps, virtual kidnaps, tiger kidnaps. So, you know, it's... There's so many different types, and I promise, John, that it will be very unique stories, okay? Well, now, I know Jeff has a follow-up question. Okay. So, um, but I'm just going to jump in real quick and just say, the, it's not that I'm against series in general. What I'm against is, is when I see a back of the book, and I hear and it says, this is the most diabolical killer that he's ever faced, and I'm like, that's what you just said the last four books, mm-hmm. all right? So it's like yeah. you're just it's, – it's, I don't like the stories to be rehashed, and they kind of just say the same thing on the back, and then, I'm, and then I'm out. What I like about a series is I love Harry Potter. I know it was seven books, which means I mm-hmm. know I'm going to get to an ending, so I'm building to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen James, I was building to something with his Bauer series. So I get excited about that. Um, my favorites are probably trilogies because I like, the, I, like the, I like how quick they are and I like how they put mm-hmm. everything together. So I do like series in a way. I, again, I'm just not a big fan of the open-ended ones where the back of the book says the same thing every single time. That's, my, that's where it's hard for me. Mm-hmm. I respect so, that, actually. I'm just being and honest. I, and I have to say that, you know, as a longtime thriller fan, I have loved standalone novels because I really do love something fresh and different. But as mm-hmm. time has gone on, I really see the value in a series because you can explore so many facets of a character and have a wonderful character arc that overreaches on several books. You know, so I, I hear you on that. And, um, and for example, Linwood Barkley has a really good trilogy right now and the Promise yeah. Falls series. And I love that. And I'm sure you guys have, you know, read that. And, and I agree with you. It's nice to know kind of an ending note, but I sort of feel sometimes you don't know when it's time to end a series until you've written the books and then you hit a point where it's like, you know what, we've really explored everything here. Let's tie things up. 
Right, I, oh. I agree with that. But just, mm-hmm. just very be careful not to kill your character because people might come after you. Poor Charlene Harris, I when promise. I interviewed her, felt that mm-hmm. when she was like done, she was like, she was scared to death because people were coming, threatening her daughter, and she's like, "What is wrong with people, man? This is a book." Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Sorry, I mean, Jeff. You see that a lot, like you know, just <laughs> fanatical fans, and it, it, it's a huge compliment to the writer. I mean, obviously, if you're able to craft a story that breeds that much, you know, passion and and you know, commitment, it's it's really you're doing your job well. But at the same time, you know, you definitely don't want any threats against your poor daughter. That's for sure. When, when you wrote this novel, it took a while. You threw everything you possibly could into it. You made it personal for your main character, and, you know, it's tight. And you got the father in and the brother and all this other amazing stuff. So essentially I'm asking, now that you've thrown everything into this book, how do you do it again, and how do you make it personal for Thea again? Well, that's a great question, and, and I hope I have an answer for that, and that is I feel like my theme in the books moving forward are really oriented around family. Um, as you can see from the first book, it's a huge focus in, in it, and I hope to explore family, not necessarily see as family always, but family as a central theme in the books moving forward. And so I feel like, you know, Thea's going to learn from other families too, the things they go through, um, and she's also going to have an ongoing issue. And I don't want to put any spoilers in here, but you know she's going to have an ongoing issue in her family because of what happened in the Freedom right. Broker. You know, so I think that it's going to definitely continue throughout, but it's also going to be explored. I think, you know, the people we love the most and the people that frustrate us the most, it's all family. And um, at the end of the day, I think that is what most good stories are about, is the people closest to us and the most intimate relationships we have. And as a result of that, I think that, you know, it's a theme that's going to really resonate, hopefully, with people in general. Like, if you think about some of the, you know, greatest books out there, um, they do central on, uh, you know, central on family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And everyone identifies with that. That's true. Family is always a, and and it's and it's not only a great topic. It's you can get so many, you can get so emotional on so many levels, and it mm-hmm. explores a character psyche in a way that really nothing else can do. Because whether it's a you know a, a daughter or a, or a sibling or a parent, I mean, when they're close to that person and something happens, and then they and things kind of get ruffled that way, it really really changes, and it really makes the author explore just how is that going to be handled? That's a challenging part that you have to go through. Yeah, and I love it because I, I think writing is cathartic, you know, and you work your own issues and, and issues you've heard about from your friends. And, and I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's always a challenge because you're so close to people and you love them. But just because you're related to someone doesn't mean you really have the same, you know, viewpoints or values, right? And that right. stretches, you know, someone's patience and, and, you know, you want to love someone, but then at the same time they frustrate you. And I think that it, it's got some great inherent conflict, don't you think, for novels, you know? Oh, absolutely. yeah, I think the backdrop is, is, yeah, is absolutely something that's there. Now, the one thing that um, – how long did it take you to write The Freedom Broker, when you started writing it to when you finished it? Uh, well, I did so much research. I would say like a year and a half or so 
because of the writing, but I did a ton of research before because I really wanted to have that strong foundation in kidnapping and understand exactly, you know, the different facets of it so that I knew what I wanted to tackle in the first book. And I'm an organic writer, uh, so I'm not really a huge plotter, but at the same time, I really did some deep thinking about the series because once you've written the first book, it's there, right? And you live with what's there. And so I really thought long and hard about where I wanted to go with it all. Well, and the reason that I ask that question is because what I think of a lot of authors, especially kind of debut authors, now, you know, you have a three-book deal. So the second book can't take a year and a half is the problem. So this is like a different deadline that you kind of have to write, and which is something that's brand new. You've, you know, you had to kind of finish the Freedom Broker. You got it going, and then they're like, okay, start doing book two. So how was the book two writing process compared to number one? Because you didn't have you, – you had time restraints. You had deadlines and things you had to hit. Yeah. I mean, I'm a former medical writer, so I'm, I'm used to working under deadline. I think that's very helpful. At the same time, fiction is, is incredibly creative. And I always find, you know, when you write something, then you analyze it and you look back and say, is that the right choice? You know, when you do a, like a plot twist or, you know, an addition of a new character. So it's, it's a little frustrating because you really want the time to set your book aside and come at it with fresh eyes. If you can't have that because it's almost impossible to write a book a year and still have that you know, ability to look back at things with fresh eyes. You really have to rely on your team. And I'm extremely lucky at Quirkus, um, you know, that the editor and the publisher are so behind me and really trying to help me editorially as well. And I think they know how open I am to growing as a writer. And so they're trying to work with me to, you know, help, you know, stretch that muscle and, and work it. So I think you just have to really be open and embrace criticism if something you've done isn't exactly where it should be and try to bring the writing up to the level you want it to be. It's tricky. It's a very short time to write a novel in a year. And um, I have the deepest respect for people who write more than one a year. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. (laughs) I don't either. I I guess, Jeff, I think what they do is they write as fast as you read. (laughs) Oh, my God. Then they'd be writing 17 novels a year. I know it's crazy, right? I have to oh well, yeah. yeah. Um, so, wanted to say thank you for coming on the show, but I have one final question for you. Sure. And that like. is because you know I love the book. I would love to know, without spoilers for our listeners, sure. did you have that ending already planned out when you were writing this, or when yes, did sir. it come to you if you didn't? Yeah, I did. I mean, definitely. I mean, it was the climax I built, I built to, I think, the whole time. And, um, yes, without spoilers, it's really difficult to answer that question, isn't it? But 100%. <laughs> and, and, you know, like I said, you know, I wanted to, um, you know, take Thea to, you know, the kind of darkest place possible. And I think that's what makes good, you know, thrillers is, is to put your characters in the most horrific position and challenge them under that duress and see how they do and see what they react and do. I think you're absolutely right, and that's what made this book so much fun and so great. Um, So to our listeners, it's called The Freedom Broker, and if you haven't picked it up already, you better go do it right now. And um, as KJ said, she's going to be doing an event in Austin tomorrow. Where else are you going to be? 
I'm headed after that to Phoenix at the Poison Pen with Stephen Kuntz, and then I'm headed to Santa Fe with the great David Morrell, then John Lesquois in um, San Francisco, and Robert Dugoni in Seattle, where I get to see Jeff. Yay. That's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Great. Right. And can well, I just ask one request? Sure. Anything for so you, John. From, anything. So, oh, great. Good. Since you're from Canada, can we switch leaders? <laughs> yes, a lot of people love my prime minister, uh, and I can't blame them. Please, him, you know. Please, please. I'll, I'll do. I'll we do whatever. You, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a bow to Thriller Fest and not and nothing else. <laughs> such temptation, John. Such a such a. That, that would make her do it. I'm confused. Yeah. Oh, you, you, it, well, I'll tell you what, John. If you come to Thriller Fest, we can talk about it. How's that for? Oh, you dirty dog, you. I know, I'm terrible. All I right. want you there. But anyway, I know, gentlemen, I know. We're, you guys are the best. We'll do our best. I really appreciate your enthusiasm. Yeah. Well, hey, Kim. Sorry. Damn it. KJ. <laughs> <laughs> I can't no help it. What am I going to do? I've been calling you, Kim, for like seven years. Fuck. So, hey. We want to thank yes, you again so much for coming out, and it was great to have you back on. And we talked, you know, different kinds of things than we talked about on Saturday, which was really good, too. So you kind of nice got a nice full hour of, of everything that was in the book, The Freedom Book. Or like we always used to say, you better run, don't walk to your computer wherever you buy books because it's available right now, hardcover, Kindle, um, go to Amazon and get it. So, again, KJ, Thank you again so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you again. Wish you nothing but the best. Good luck on the tour. Okay, I really appreciate it, and gentlemen, and I can't wait to see you both, okay? Take good care Look of yourself. All right. Okay, bye right, now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, there you go. That is author K.J. Howe. And if you want more information, go to kjhowe.com, H-O-W-E.com, for more information on this book. And, of course, as she updates with new books and events and everything else, uh, you want to make sure that you check all that out and keep all that going. So, Jeff, you want to take a short break or you just want to roll it? Um, totally up to you. Eh, let's that? just roll it. You know, right. we'll just roll it for a little bit and just talk about whatever. Uh, there, there's one thing, and, and you're a big movie guy, and I haven't had a chance to see it yet. I don't know if you saw it or yet yet. But I was really excited about the Batman Lego movie. And have you seen it? Yes, I have. Oh, my God. How was it? you got to tell me. Um, in all honesty, I think it's the best Batman movie I've ever seen. Really? <laughs> it's that funny? It's hysterical. It's dramatic. There's so many jokes flying throughout that entire thing. It was almost overload, and I loved it. I guess there's and a bunch there's of, a lot of breaking in there from like all, similar to what um, Deadpool did. And I guess that there's a lot of um what uh uh easter eggs in there from uh from like the past Batman movies and things that they do and stuff like that. So yeah, that okay. So now Yeah, they even go. not only reference them, they make fun of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think what is it the one where he's like where he sits there and he goes Superman is my greatest enemy. He goes, no, I mean villain. He goes, well, in that case, I guess I have a lot or something like that. And the Joker starts <laughs> crying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just got that from the trailer. But, see, I never saw the first Lego movie, and I just bought it, and I thought it was hilarious. 
Mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. I mean, it was just one of those movies that just kind of, oh, yeah, I want to see, and then kind of time passes by, and then you kind of forget about it. And then I saw the trailer for this, and I'm like, oh, my God, I never saw the first freaking Lego movie, and I wanted to check it out. So, um, yeah, yeah, I thought it's, that they – definitely I, worthwhile. And there's even nice. a, there's a wonderful reference. Um, somebody suggests getting all the supervillains together to create a team to help fight the enemy, and he goes, who'd be stupid enough to do that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yes, it was it was yeah. great. So okay. yes, um, if you're on the fence, go see it. If you like Batman at all, there's so many jokes flying. And if you're really into Batman, you'll really like it. Because even the obscure stuff, right? Part. Yeah. I hear there's even references back to the 1960s show that was on TV. Oh, and there's even references to villains that he fought a couple times that even I'd never heard of. And I went back and looked, and like, yeah, he actually did fight Condiment King. <laughs> Are you shitting me? There's, a, I don't, I'm a Batman fan, and I don't even know about Condiment King. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that that obscure. It's so much fun. Yeah, go. You gotta go. Okay, I gotta quit go. talking to me and go. <laughs> oh shit! All right, well we're out, everybody. Um, I'm gonna go see Batman. No. <laughs> um, well, you know. The the one thing that – and since summer blockbusters are coming up, and I always kind of look at the summer blockbusters, and the one thing that I always kind of noticed, and people have said, they go, God, there's such a lot of superhero movies out. And it's like there's almost – you know, and again, it looks like it's dominated again, more superhero movies. And then, of course, we got the Star Wars coming at the end. And it kind of leads to the question, and it kind of leads to the question of books. Do you think that a subject matter – gets too saturated to where it's like, wait, there's another superhero movie. Okay, well, do I have to watch this one or do I have to Because sometimes, like I was trying to get like with the Marvel stuff, and it's like, well, you want to watch Age of Ultron before you watch Civil War, but then you really want to watch Winter Soldier because you want to be – so it's kind of like they set all these things up, and it's like, yeah, but it's almost so much. It's almost too many. Do you feel – and I think in books it was the same thing. I mean, how sick did you get a vampire and zombie books? I mean, honestly. <laughs> I have to say what Marvel's doing, I love. They started off with Iron Man. They had a plan. They proceeded to lay out that plan, implement it very well, and they're going to reach their end game here when uh, they do the last two Avenger movies. Okay. And I love how it all ties another, together. It's all plotted. But, it's cool. but do we need another Wolverine movie in Logan? Well, it is R-rated. Which one, Logan? Which makes it very intriguing to me. I know, but do we need another one? You had Origin, then you had the Wolverine, then you had Logan. Well, they both sucked. I mean, but wasn't there, honest, wasn't there the fourth one, or was there just – is this the third one, or was, or was there another one? This is the this third is the one, third right? one. Him by himself. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. if the first two suck so bad, like the first two Hawks with – you know, Eric oh, Bana and then Ed Norton, which at least Ed Norton was better than the Eric Bana because Eric Bana was so bad. And then you had the Ed yeah, Norton. Yeah, when, when uh, the first Hulk movie, they're one. fighting poodles in the dark. I thought, what the hell am I sitting here watching? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, but they're not even <laughs> trying for another one. I mean, so it's like yeah. they're not even going to do it again. Well, they, they've got a good thing and going with Hulk now. Don't ruin it. Thank you. Well, yeah, they do good. They do. Hulk, Hulk is. Hawk is pretty good. Um, 
You're supposed to be in Thor from what I'm hearing now. Is what? You're supposed to be in the new Thor movie. Yeah, because didn't didn't they weren't in Civil War because they left after Ultron and they weren't in Civil War. So I heard that they're going to kind of put them together and yeah, in that one. But do you think that if you go online and look, there's a couple little short movies that they've been doing as a sort of a spoof where Thor actually tries to get a job and has a roommate and um, doesn't understand why he wasn't invited to participate in Civil War. Really? They're very funny. Okay. But again, it leads to the question, is it too much? Well, when is enough finally, when when would you finally say, you know what, okay, it's enough? When they start bringing, I thought, to be honest, I thought when they brought Guardians of the Galaxy out before I saw it, I thought, okay, now they're really going out on a limb here. I'm not sure. But that was great. That was actually funny. Oh, I love that movie. And I'm looking forward to the next one. And I'm looking forward to the soundtrack, too. But as long as they keep writing great stuff that is original, funny, and proceeds to keep telling their story, I'm cool with it. And so, so to what me, do you it's think not about an, like not much yet. And and so what do you think about you know like so like like books like the vampires and zombies and then you know you've getting you you've getting a lot of military political thrillers now of course being what's in the news today I don't know if those things become more popular if people look at them more but I seems to be like a lot of saturation with that genre um, like you see, and other genres, you know, I don't see a lot of really good horror out there anymore. And I don't see, it's like, it's like people are, you know, trying to figure out, oh, this is, you know, this is what sells. This is what I'm going to write. We've talked about kind of chasing, you know, you're like chasing the trend. Mm-hmm. And it's Ever like, works. so I just sit there. Yeah. So I just sit there and I wonder, you know, do we really need to see, you know, another, FBI agent and his team going in to fight the terrorists and do this. It's like, really? I mean, there's already so many authors out there doing that stuff. It's like, do you need to see another new one? I mean, are you going to write something really that hasn't been done? Are you going to involve a new country that no one's ever talked about? You know what I mean? Well, let's talk about military fiction because okay. – um, there's a lot of that out there too, and a lot of that, a lot of it, and it's really, it's really got to be extra special now to actually not only stand up but also break itself away from the major crowd. There's just so many of them, oh, and a yeah, lot of them are I by mean, people who've actually experienced it. You know, which totally get right. I, I think most of them are ones that have kind of experienced it in some way. But the question is, I mean, I, I mean, the question is, it just feels like, it feels like almost every time I pick up a book or see new books that come or this and that, it's like almost two out of every five, which is a lot, are some kind of a military political thriller. Wow. 
That's a lot. I mean, what about you? I mean, you get a ton of books to your house. I mean, how many do you – how many books – or how do you go about picking and choosing which ones you're going to review? I mean, because you review for Associated Press, and you review for Booklist, and you review for us, and you review – so how many – I mean, how do you go about picking which ones you're going to do? Um, sometimes I don't have a choice. And that's interesting because I tend to see a lot of the same stuff when I don't have the choice. So it's actually nice when I do get a choice, mm-hmm. and I try to pick books that um, are by authors I enjoy or really sound intriguing and original. Like, oh, I've never heard of something like this before. You know, but if it says, you know... Um, for those who loved Gone Girl, I'm like, okay, well, I'm out. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Number yeah. one rule for no, me, don't idea. compare hey. yourself to something I can't stand. Well, like I say, hey, girl, be gone, okay? Yeah, that's it. Girl, be gone. <laughs> yeah. That was the yeah. sequel, girl, be gone. Um, but, you know, I think it's very interesting, and I don't know if a lot of people realize that. So you just said a lot of times you don't get a pick. So let's just say that I write a book, and I want the Associated Press to review it. How would I go about trying to get that to happen? Um, There's a lot of things involved to getting reviewed by them, and one of them is you have to be published by the big publishers. So if you're an independent or small press, you will not get reviewed by them. That's how it works. Now, um, okay, if, so now here's – so, okay, so hold on. So that's an interesting question. Do they keep a list of publishers, and how do they know who's big and who's not big? Because you could have some erotica publishers out there, let's just say, because I'm not in that world, that might be massive uh-huh. and sell a ton of books, but maybe Associated Press doesn't realize because it's not Simon & Schuster or HarperCollins or Hache or you know something like that. Um, doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah, and so they the other a, thing so is... They, they, so they keep a list? Uh, they, they must have some um, kind of a list then. They have contacts with the uh, major publishers and their publicists and all that, so it's about having conversations with them. Oh, and okay. also, um, I do get asked occasionally... To review a book for eight, for the Associated Press, my book came out in 2014, and that Done. that's not how the reviewing for them works either, or for you, or for any of the other places I review for. It's got to be right. pretty much not published yet, or just published. We'll because go back. It's, it's essentially Some, news. Sometimes we'll review books that maybe are three or four months old, like if you know something like that. We'll do that, but. Like eight months, six months over, probably not going to happen. Probably not going right. to happen. You know, but yeah, the one and, thing uh, that we I do, always I say, think, well, what's your next one? Let me know. You yeah, get it to me early. And yeah, give me like six months head lead way to get it to you. Um, and one of the, yeah, the majority places how that we, I review for it's six months minimum. And see how we pick our books. We don't look at publisher. We really don't look at name too often. I mean, there are some names. You know that I like to get, 
Um, like I love to get Kevin O'Brien's book, and as soon as I get that, and it, it might be there. I just haven't checked my inventory to see if it's in there. You know, I'll get that and I'll read that. I love. I like Jeffrey Deaver. He's about the only series writer I continue to go with. Um, I like to read. Did you see books. the new book? I have it, and I'm halfway through it. Okay. Oh, um, you, you're reading it. I am. Okay. What'd you think of the cover this time? I have to ask. It's a hell of a lot better than the Steel Kiss, I'll tell you that. But you want to know what's <laughs> funny? If you look at the Steel Kiss cover, you're going to see they changed it for, like, Europe. And it looks so much better than that crappy one that we got. What? Wow, okay. Yes, I'm telling you. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. And it was much different than... The cover, it was like, um, oh, God, was it on his website? I saw the damn thing. Um, it wasn't that crappy yellow with look like a, I don't even know, a fucking steel fence or something. Um, I think it was the European one, but it was a different cover uh, looking. And it was like, um, and it was kind of like an old shack maybe or something, but it was really cool looking. It was really cool looking. It was much better than, than the other one. So, but I did think that this cover, you know, was a lot better. And, and, it, and it was pretty basic. You know, a piece, two pieces of rope, and it just says the burial hour, and it has, like, blue water. Mm-hmm. Much better. Yeah, I like this cover a lot as well. Yeah, much you better. You kind of know what you're getting into with this as opposed to the previous one. Maybe they listened to us. Maybe they did. I doubt it. I seriously, on I demand. Seriously, fucking doubt it if they did. But <laughs> you know, if they did, that would be great. That means that you know they're listening to us because it was just a really bad cover. I mean, it was. So, but as far as like reviewing, I mean, that's kind of what we do. I mean, and we just kind of pick them off, and we'll just kind of look at the back and say, "Oh, it looks interesting." We'll just read this one. You know, we and then like you and like me, we get bombarded with emails from publicists and sometimes that's how i'll read about it because they'll put the synopsis in there and i'm like oh that sounds pretty interesting okay i like to read about that kind of stuff so let me go read that one so that kind of helps a lot um you know i also try to review books that i'm gonna like yeah you know if i read a book and i don't like it i don't really want to write a review and say something about it you know sometimes i I have to but for the Otherwise, I try to avoid that. I know. It's tough. I'm with you on that. Oh, there it is. There's the book. There's the book cover. So it's a Lincoln. I, yeah, we're radio, know. dude. Else. Shit. Okay. Well, I just clicked it on Google, and I just typed in the Steel Kiss. And it's like it's an open door that has – oh, shit. Hold on. I'm looking at it here. I'm trying to figure out where this is. It looks like it's the Google one. Um, I'll send this over to you, but it looks like it's the Google book cover. I don't know, but click on the link I just sent to you. And it's a cooler looking cover, man. That is kind of cool. Yeah. It's a, see, it's much better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a much better cover. It's like, um, you're entering like a, Jail cell, maybe, or a vault or something? Or some kind of weird guy. Yeah, like some kind of weird 
guy's like room where he's going to keep you kidnapped or something. I don't know, but that's a, you know what? That's a much more of a thriller than the other cover. So, mm-hmm. um, yes, you know, and this is one thing. And and I was talking to Shannon about this, and I was like, Do you think the name has anything to do with the buying of the book? I think that the name does. I think that the name should be kind of short and to the point. But give people the, you know, wanting to do. I'm not a big fan of long names. And I'm not a big fan of names that the author thinks it's cool, but no one else is getting like the joke. You know what I mean? Right. I totally get that. So, well, Steve Barry yeah. will tell you that it has to be three titles or three words the something something. And that's uh, what. Which I totally KJ agree did with. Too. Cujo, Christine. The Shining, oh, I know. Stand, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can yeah, but go we're on. not all Stephen King. No, but Carrie was his first one. Then he went to The Shining. Then he went to The Stand. Then he was in Christine. Then he, you know, so I mean, he yeah. Firestarter. So he kind of started off that way. Um, I just think it should be. I just think it should be a title that is poignant but intriguing. But again, something that lends the belief to, oh, I want to know more, not what the hell does that mean. You know what I mean? You, you understand what right. I'm trying to say on that one, I guess? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Steel Kiss, it was like, oh, that's an intriguing title. But if you put, if you change the word steel to some different word that maybe Jeffrey knows or there's something in the book, but you haven't read it to understand it, you're like, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah. So, yeah. It's it's most effective. If you're writing um, literary fiction, or as one of my colleagues calls it, foo-foo fiction, um, then the more elaborate titles that have triple meaning makes more sense, not for a thriller. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And I think mystery and I think it depends on the genre. I think that if you're writing mystery it has to be something different, you know, like Agatha Christie, you know, murder in three acts. Um, you know, Orient Express, Death on the Nile, you know, things that tend to lead, oh, this is where it's going to be or this is what's going to happen kind of gives you that idea. I think thriller is different. I think horror is much different. Sci-fi, I mean, they all have to kind of lend to the genre that it's writing so people have an understanding that if they're in Barnes & Noble, put it this way, you should be able to walk in Barnes & Noble, you should have no signs of where any book is, you should be able to pick up and look at the title and say, oh, that's going to be a mystery, oh, that's going to be a thriller, oh, that's going to be science fiction. You know what I mean? Oh, right, yeah, absolutely. And Yeah, <laughs> and I think if you confuse people, not good. I love those mysteries with the bad puns. I gotta say, I, that, that's sort of my thing. If it's a cozy mystery, you gotta have a bad pun going with thing. it, and then I'm cool with it. Instead of like arsenic and old lace, it's like arsenic and you know, old baking, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking of like one I saw that was um, oh, I got one, one of those got, baking got mysteries. It was called Half Baked. Oh man! I, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, like I got some right here in my box. Death of a Bad Apple. That's a good one. Yeah, there you uh, let go. Let me see. Floral Depravity. A Killer is About to Get Medieval. 
Okay, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Beauty Beast and Belladonna, a fairy tale, fatal mystery. I guess they had to add the word fatal. I guess they didn't realize there was going to be a murder in it. Um, for cheddar yeah, or when, worse? When's a murder I mean, not fatal? That's true. <laughs> um, when it's in a cozy. Uh, let's see. Out of the dying pan is another one. That's a cool crime and poetry. So, you know, they got the cute little covers. But the one thing, and, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I mean, my guilty pleasure yeah, don't call is, that a, dude, I love watching those. I love watching those Hallmark movie mysteries. I love watching Garagedale Mystery with Lori Laughlin. I like watching Allison Sweeney and Murder, She Baked, um, Brooke Shields and uh, Flower Shop Mystery. I love those movies. I love them. I love those movies. I got like seven taped on my DVR right now. Yeah, I wish, um, since I don't have access to that channel, I wish I could uh, have access. You don't have Hallmark Movie Mystery Channel? No, for some reason my uh, package does not include that. Oh, dude, yeah, it's a great channel. That's where they had the same ones, I think, like Lisa Scottaline, Lisa Gardner. They had, like, Suspense Sundays, and they had, like, some of their books. They turned into those TV movies on that station. I thought that was TNT that did that. TNT did it, too, but Hallmark did also called Suspense Sundays, and they did things, and it was a while ago. It was a while ago that they had okay. a couple others. They have Mary Higgins Clark. They have a lot of Mary Higgins Clark's books on those channel. Lifetime also does some thrillers. And there's some love involved, but there's always but there's always an aspect of a crime, you know, a murder or whatnot and stuff like that. But yeah, that was pretty good. That was good. I love that stuff. Because a friend of mine why, brought over the one with um Kelly Martin as the bookstore owner. Okay. And um I I guess there's been like nine of those or something. Probably. And uh, that that was uh, interesting. The mystery was interesting, but I thought the uh, directing was terrible. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it was okay. Well, you know, you can't win them all. But, yeah, yeah, but, those yeah no, I, I, I mean, those. I do. I love this because I love the Agatha Christie. I watch all the Perot's on Netflix. Um, I love watching the older ones that had, um, oh, what was his name? The Death on the Nile. Peter Ustev was in that. Um, but David Saucet is in the Perot Mysteries, which is on Netflix, which is basically almost a, all of her books and short stories that they turned into either an hour TV show or like a full-length hour and a half, hour 45, two-hour movie uh, that they've done. And they're a lot more to what the book is than what like the, the Peter Ustavs ones were. Those were entertaining, but if you read the book, you would be a little upset with how they did it because they did take some liberties in those. Um, but the David well, Saw Cat ones are pretty damn close to exactly how the book was. What do you think of the one, uh, the remake they did of, uh, and then there were none just recently uh, for British television? I've not seen it yet. Oh, okay. But what's funny is as I got the book in front of me, and I read the book. So is that on BBC? Um, I think that's who did it. It was a British version. It was like a little okay. miniseries. Good. I'll have to look it up because I, you know, I watched the Marla Maples one too. Uh, not Marla Maples? Are you fucking kidding me? I just said that. <laughs> I watched the Miss. I watched the Miss Marple one because <laughs> she has her series. Because she had a series, and some of that stuff was on Netflix. But you can catch some of those uh, out there too, and those are really good. Uh, one of these days, I'm probably just going to buy all this stuff 
and just have it all so I can watch it again. Because I was just watching freaking, uh, they just had a new Garage Sale Mystery out the other day, The Art of Murder, and then I was watching the novel Murders uh, just the other day. I mean, it, it's just great because, you know, it's not, it's because it's about the mystery, and it's not really about the gore and the CGI and all that. It's just about the character and the mystery and solving a cute little crime, and it's not too in-depth. It's not too, you know, it's just, it's just fun, and that's what I like. I don't need all the other crap. I really don't. So. Yeah, I, I'm uh, disappointed that they don't have more of them available on, say, DVD or something like that. Yeah, me too. But... You know what I'm really pissed off? That that Hallmark movie mystery doesn't let you play those movies through their app. That really pisses me off. And I don't know why they don't, because they're the ones who create the movies and make them. Why can't you watch them through the app? So That would be, be helpful, helpful for me, too. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing that I would like to know from Spectrum, because I have Spectrum, because I, like, I, I watch the Dodgers, and that's the only one I can get, is why does Spectrum have you have an app that when you're at your house, if I wanted to watch my TV on my iPad, I can watch all the live TV I want. But I can't watch any of the shows I have recorded on my, on my iPad. I have to watch those physically on the TV. And I'm like, well, if I'm sitting outside and I'm relaxing and, you know, enjoying the sun or doing whatever and have the iPad and I'm watching the game, why can't I watch some of the movies that I tape? So I hope that they change that. I can control my DVR and I can record shows all I want but I can't watch the shows I record. And I'm like, that's a little stupid. Even I can do that with my setup. That's interesting. Great. Yeah, but you can't watch Hallmark Mysteries or movies, so there, we're both screwed on one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but but I, can watch, um, I can watch my DVR on my uh, iPad, so there you go. You lucky bastard. All right, man. <laughs> we're coming down to it. We'll be back in two weeks on the 28th of February. Jeff, who's our guest? Um, I'm still trying to get the person. We'll probably know okay. tomorrow, but that doesn't help us Okay, now. sounds Sorry. good. Sounds good. So, again, everybody, K.J. Howe, the book is The Freedom Broker. Go to kjhowe.com for more information, and the book is available now. It just came out about a week ago, so you can buy it at hardcover, Kindle, however you want to order it. It's there. Um, it's been great, Jeff. You have a good one. Now I have to go see Batman Lego, and when I see it, I will tell you how it is. This Saturday, I'm actually right. taking Shannon out for Valentine's Day because we're not doing anything tonight because everything's so packed and busy. I'm going to go see a Keith Sweat concert. God help me. Oh, that sounds exciting. Yeah, I know. But that's okay. <laughs> it should be fun. She likes that music. It's with Brian McKnight and Guy, so it should be entertaining. Okay. Well, we'll have a great time. But I will hopefully do that. And I definitely will be entertaining, and there's going to be some great concert wear. That's the best part is watching the patrons. So I'm uh, yes, for sure. All right, until everybody, until, t- until next time, everybody, make sure you follow us on iTunes, get subscribed to the podcast, and keep reading. Talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Have a good one.